you want to keep that open, we're going to have a look at that together. Let me pray before we do so. Dear God, we thank you for these words of yours, and uh, we pray that you'll help us understand them and shape us by them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've got a, a taxing question for you this morning. Has anyone ever had computer troubles in life? Yeah, a few of us have. Um, probably most of us have. There's nothing frustrating than needing to do something on your computer. Um, and maybe you've typed up a, a document, let's say. Um, and, and then your computer decides that when you press the save button, what it really wants to do is turn off and not turn on again for a few hours. Now, luckily, we work in the cloud these days and things get saved and backed up. But sometimes you come back, you've written a sentence maybe. Might just be my experience. You write a sentence and you're like, oh, that was well written. And that's the one sentence that doesn't get saved in the backup. You had that experience? Just me? Yeah, a few of us have. Um, I remember my first experience with computer viruses. It was as a child, we had a computer in the house. Um, we used these things in the computer. Remember those? I can't wait. Um, Flynn, what are they? Oh, you even know they are. Good on you. Okay, I was, I, I'm not. I'm not anticipating tonight that many people may know what they are, but we'll see how we go. Um, those used to get information on and put that information into your computer. Um, and we had games like Pac-Man, that sort of thing to play, all the classic stuff on those floppy disks. Uh, I was living in Indonesia at the time, and it got to the stage where we started turning off our comp- uh, changing the games, so from, one, from Pac-Man to, like, I don't know what else, King's Quest, I think that was a game. Does anyone know what that was? Tim? Yes, you and me, all right. Uh, and then we got this message at the end of our game change um, every time we changed the disc. And then the first disc wouldn't work again. At first, we thought there was a problem with our computer um, or our, our uh, something else going on. And we thought Denzuk was the, um, the brand of the company that made the games. Of course, we were in Indonesia and the games that we were buying at the computer shop were probably pirated anyway. So it turns out that Denzuko actually is actually a virus. Um, it was created to stop another virus, the brain virus, but it also wiped your floppy disks eventually. So we could play the games and the Denzel would come and it was actually killing all the information. And uh, we were getting it obviously from the pirated computer shops. And dad, when he went to work on the computer with his floppy disk, was having his information wiped as well. I bet he was thrilled. But times change, don't they? We get this message now, don't we? Have you ever had that one? Um, you know, just collecting some error info will restart for you. 20% complete. How long does it take to go to 21%? It never does, does it? It just sits there forever. I've had that one. But back with Windows 95, you may recall the blue screen of death if you ever use a... Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? And there's all manner of problems that come up when you have computers. There's um, viruses that are bad. Ooh, not that one. Um, Simple freezes that come up that don't unfreeze. For some reason, your mouse just stops working, especially if it's Bluetooth these days, and you're like shaking it and banging on the desk, and that doesn't make it better. That makes it worse. Um, then there's all more sinister things, aren't there? They, um, they track your browsing habits and sell your information to companies to then market to you, or Google does it anyway. Um, and then there's the more sinister ones, which are keystroke loggers. They download like a Trojan horse and they copy your information and then someone else can access your bank information. Now, who's worried about that? We all should be, shouldn't we? But fear no longer, because if you have concerns about your computer, this will save you. This is the computer function amulet. And you can buy it from a Shinto shrine in Tokyo. Now, what it is, is it's a sticker, a CPU-shaped sticker that goes on your device and a piece of cardboard that you wear while using that device. Now, if you're wearing your cardboard and have that sticker on the device, then, we're told, your machine is protected from viruses, malware, pop-ups, and it will stop it from freezing. Who's ordering one this afternoon? Yes, just Chris. 
matter you ordering or you know you just you're thinking about it okay um does anyone does anyone really think this is the problem to uh computer issues it's not really is it it's a long way from the problem, okay? And I'll put it to you that troubled times don't belong just to the land of computers and frustration doesn't belong there at all. We have troubled times in life in many different ways. Sure, in computers it's easy to see, but we have difficult times and disturbing times in life where things feel overwhelming, let's be honest. There's times where we may have bills to pay and they all come at once for some reason. And we're looking at it thinking, why is Rego due at the same time as the insurance? Well, I guess that's how I set it up. But then why is my house insurance and everything at the same time? And the finances seem too thin to bear. Or maybe we're confronted by the enormity of the total amount of debt remaining that we have. We look at that bank balance, we go, oh, I don't want to see that anymore. Can it go away, please? Or maybe you've had the experience of hopping in your car and it doesn't do what you think it should do, namely turn on. And then you think about, well, how do I fix this? Maybe there's family dynamics which put you in an awkward scenario. I mean, it is Mother's Day and it's a great day. Except some people don't find it so great because they have to navigate difficult arrangements. Whether it's with a spouse estranged, whether it's with siblings who cause problems or think you cause problems. I was speaking to someone the other day and they went for a routine visit to the doctor. The doctor said, what's that on your neck? They said, I don't know. A week later, it had been a large section of their skin had been cut off and they can't turn their head to the right anymore. Health can leave us at any time, can't it? There's so many more things in life that can overwhelm us. Troubled times are abundant. And you might have paused and wondered, where is God in these times? Because troubled times come upon us. And where is God? We're looking at Ruth chapter 2 this morning. And as we look at Ruth, uh, we are going to think about um, where God is in troubled times. But sometimes our circumstances can feel like they're overwhelming. Where's God in those times? I wonder, what is this a picture of? Anyone know? Something. Yeah, what about this? Oh, it's, you know, it's too obvious, that one. I missed, I messed up. And this one? That, that one? Who said that? Because yeah, you've seen the picture at the end. This wise guy. All right. Um, <laughs> those pictures are too zoomed in to know, even though you just guessed two of the three of them. Um, <laughs> might be choosing a better picture for this evening. Um, they're, they're too zoomed in to be sure, aren't they? You can't actually tell what they are because they're too focused in. We'll come back at the end. We'll see what they are. There'll be a reveal. Spoiler alert. It's the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> the Opera House, and the Sphinx, okay? But when we're focused, when the problem, fo- when we're too zoomed in and everything's too close to us, it's often hard to see what is actually going on. And that's the scenario that we're going to have some help with here in Ruth. But we get that way in life. We get troubled times and everything, they overwhelm us and we can't see past it. But we see here in Ruth how God has acted in troubled times for Naomi and Ruth. And maybe that's going to help us think about how God acts for us in troubled times. Okay? So now we've got to remember where Ruth is set in the Bible because that's helpful to understand what's going on here. Ruth is a book in the Bible set during which period of time? Does anyone know? I don't need years, just a general period of time. That was right, Tim. Yep. Yep. Brent, that was right too. In the judges' time. It's during the time of the judges, Okay. And the time of the judges was what kind of time, would you say? How would you characterize it? Good? What was that? Each, yeah, that's actually how it finishes. It's a great sentence, uh, the very last sentence of judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's just chaos, okay? Absolutely chaotic. We just sung a couple of songs this morning. Um, how would it be 
Oh, I shouldn't ask this question because you might have a, an opinion on it. If everyone, if all the, there's one, two, three, four musicians, if everyone played something different, how would that go? I think we all tried to play the same thing. But if everyone was playing a different tune, it would be a shamozzle, wouldn't it? Imagine the society living that way, everyone doing what they thought was best. An absolute debacle, okay? An absolute debacle. And that's the, the time of the judges. It ends in horrific fashion with someone being chopped up and emailed out to everyone, or snail mailed out to everyone. Ruth is set during that time. During this horrific time in Israel's history. The, the big picture's there, but it zooms right in on one particular family. The family of a guy called Elimelech, we saw last week. And he runs away from troubled times in his country. In his country, there's a famine. He says, that's it, I'm out. I'm going somewhere else to find food for my family. We understand that, but it doesn't work out for him. And that's because he probably shouldn't have done that. He probably should have stayed where God wanted him to be, that is, in the land that God gave them, and trusted God. But he runs away, and what happens? Well, he dies, and his sons come with him, get married, and then they die. And he's left his wife as a widow with two daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law who are also now widows. And one of them says, I'll go back home with you, and the other one vanishes from the story. The one who says, I'll go back home, her name is Ruth, name of the book. She obviously will be quite significant here. Now, we, we pick her up today. If you look at the passage we had this morning, chapter 2, just go back one verse to the end of chapter 1. It says there, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And then we see um, in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. In those two verses there, there's two important things to pick up, okay? The first is the good timing. Why is it good timing in, on their return? Does anyone want to hazard a guess? Barley harvest. Why is that good? Food. Right. The barley harvest is the first harvest of the harvest that happened um, at the time. And the way that it worked as a widow in those days, it wasn't great to be a widow, okay? Um, if your husband died, you were left, there was no social security for you, you were left to fend for yourself, and really, you needed to marry someone to look after you. I'm not saying it's a good system, but that's the system that was in place then. However, God didn't like that, and his desire was for his people to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And so his system was that you should, if you are related to the guy, or, the, or then you should take her in and provide care for her somehow. And if she's a foreigner, or if anyone's a foreigner and comes to your land, they should be able to take from the excess of your harvests. And so what God says is when you're doing the barley harvesting, I don't know if you've ever done it before. I haven't, but I assume this is how it goes. You cut stuff and you put it in your, in your thing on your back and some will fall on the ground. Okay? God says, leave it where it lies. That's for someone else. That's the excess. So they're going to be careful, but some's going to fall behind. That's for the foreigner, for the person who has not got enough. Okay? It's God's way of caring for the despondent, the downcast, the outcast in society. Leave the scraps for someone else. So they've come at barley harvest. There'll be a few harvests. They'll be able to get some resources to live by. Now, the second thing I want you to notice here is, um, is Boaz. And what do we learn about him? There's two important things about Boaz here. What does it say in verse 1? He's related, he's related to Naomi, well, Naomi's husband, Elimelech. That's going to be good because... He's going to have the responsibility to care for her eventually. And what else? It says he's a, it says he's a worthy man. Um, if you were to put that another way, uh, anyone else want to hazard a guess as to what that might, how you might put that? 
He was rich. That's exactly right. He was rich. Okay. Um, so here's Boaz. He's rich. And he's a character introduced. He's going to play a part. And we can guess what happens already. Now, there's um, a, a boss in um, a city in China who has sparked some controversy recently. Um, he has asked his employees at the end of every day's work to send him a screenshot of the battery use on their mobile phone. Okay? He's convinced that the productivity in his company is down because people are spending too much time on their smartphones instead of working. And so his solution is that at the end of the day, you bring up your battery life app and you take a screenshot of that and send it to him. Okay? Now, there's been a bit of an uproar about this, which is how I've heard about the story, obviously, but um, it, there's a bit of nerd rage all over the place about it. But how do you think you'd go if you had to bring up your battery usage graph and send it to your boss at the end of every day? Who would like that? Anyone? Wouldn't you take your charger in? Now, so you're thinking of a workaround. So some of us said we wouldn't like it. Karen says, I'm trying to think of a way around this. Unfortunately, there's a problem with your suggestion, which is it's still going to be used and just recharged. So he'll be able to see the battery was being depleted. Um, So, okay, some of us wouldn't like it. You could try a workaround. And other people would be like, oh, well, whatever. I'll just do it. I don't care. Okay? Um, And I reckon that's probably three ways that we respond in general to things that happen in life. When you're faced with a challenge, I'm not suggesting that not being allowed to use your phone at work is a challenge, but if you face a challenging scenario in life, there's three ways broadly to respond. You can be angry about it and be outraged. You can find a solution. Some people in the workplace, in this phone one, take a second phone in, take a screenshot. There you go, boss. And the other way is just accept it and move on, all right? Um, Different ways to respond. Um, now, remember those, because we're going to look here at Naomi and Ruth, and we're going to see that they could actually be outraged at their scenario. They could just accept it and move on, or they could find a workaround. And I think they go into that workaround or acceptance mode pretty quickly, because we see there in verse 2, Ruth says, I'm just going to go and pick up the scraps. And off she goes, and she does it. Um, and we see in verse 3 a fairly pleasant coincidence occurs. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. All right, what a coincidence, hey? No? If this was a movie, you already know the plot. What's going to happen if it's a movie? They're going to get married. And guess what happens? Spoiler alert, we've got two more weeks of this, but they get married. That's not the point of the story, okay? So the point of the story is not... You know, you might be sitting there thinking, where's the author taking this? It's pretty uneventful. We know they're going to get married. It's going to happen. This is fine. But that's not the whole point of the story. It's an important part of the story. Um, but it's, we've got to understand how God provides for Ruth and Naomi here. And is this just a coincidence that she happens to find her way into the field of Elimelech? Not at all. Is there actually such a thing as a coincidence? It's a challenging question to ask yourself, isn't it? Because we live in a world where we think, oh, there's blind chance and luck and things. And if something happens, then something else happens. It's just coincidence. I don't think so. There's not really coincidences in life, are there? Because God does ordain the days that we live. He knows what age you're going to be when you pass away. That's okay. He knows the steps we're going to take. He knows exactly what's happening in our lives. He's got a good plan for us. And sometimes we pray and we say, Lord, you know, help me with this. And then it happens and we get shocked. We shouldn't be so shocked. Sometimes we pray and it doesn't happen and then we get angry. Why didn't it happen? 
Well, because it wasn't part of the God guides our steps, right? He prepares good works in advance for us to do, the Bible tells us. But that doesn't mean that we have no responsibility to do them. They're still our part that we need to play. We've got to say, actually, I need to seek to do what God would have me do. And here's Ruth. I'm with my elderly mother-in-law. I'm going to go out and glean in the field. I'm not going to send her to work. So she takes a step. What are we going to do in troubled times? There's a lot of ways we could approach them. We could be outraged. Or we could try and find a workaround and avoid them, maybe even. Or we could say, you know what? I'm going to accept it and move forward. Now, there could be other responses, but I think of those responses as Christians, I think outrage is the least helpful uh, because it pretty much says, well, I'm just not even going to try. But I don't think that's what God has for us. In any scenario you find yourself, maybe God's putting you through something, helping you grow, helping you develop. Good or bad circumstances. What are we going to learn from it? And sometimes what happens feels coincidental, but I highly doubt that it is. A man moved from uh, Algeria to a Belgium port city um, and he took up residence there. He didn't have any identification papers. He just moved there and started living in the country. I think he was okay to stay. Um, he went to the uh, news agent and bought a scratch lotto ticket. He scratched it off and he won $270,000. Fantastic, he thought. My life has changed. Except he could not claim the prize because he did not have any identification. You need identification to claim the prize. So he thought, what can I do? I know what I'll do. I'll give my ticket to my mate who has ID. He can go and claim it for me and give me the cash. I'll split it with him even if he wants. So his mate went along to claim the prize. He went to the lotto agent and said, I'd like to claim this scratch ticket. Of course, when you do that and claim a big prize, they check the CCTV to make sure you're the person who bought the ticket because apparently it's some kind of crime to cash in somebody else's ticket. So this man, he sent two mates and then he went and visited them in jail the next day with a lawyer to try and get them out because they got sent to jail because they can't claim the prize. Now you think about miraculous provision in life, right? That's the kind of story you think about, well, not the whole story, but the, the story of someone gets provided a lotto ticket and it wins or they stumble across a gold bar or an enormous gold nugget. That's kind of what we think about in terms of miraculous provision. But I wonder if that's actually what miraculous provision is. I think it's not just one massive event necessarily. It can be a series of things which lead to life-changing circumstances. And we look back at um, Ruth here and we see God providing for Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. We meet this guy and we know they're going to get married. No spoilers there. But we meet him in verse 4. We see what kind of guy he is. It's a short verse, but it says a lot about him. How does he greet his, um, the people working in the field? He walks in and he says, the Lord be with you. Okay, he's a, he has a genuine care for them. And they reply, the Lord bless you. They love him. It's great. They think this is, this is the guy and he's looking, he's, he's fantastic. We love him. It's a, it shows that he has genuine care for them, but that he's a genuinely good bloke as well. All right? And he cares for God's needs. And then we read on in verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Okay, I may have done him a disservice in my reading there, but um, I don't think he's necessarily asking and inquiring about her eligibility for marriage. Um, he's just curious because he sees a foreigner working in his field. And by the way, Flinders, that's when you, when you want to ask about a girl, that's not how you ask about her. Just um, <laughs> someone new comes to youth group. Flinders goes to Chris, whose young woman is this? No, that's not, that's not how you do it. Okay. All right. um, I think he's just curious because he sees someone who's a foreigner, uh, clearly a foreigner in the field. And he's asking, who's this? What are they doing in my field? He's not upset about it, 
because he says, let her go. Let her, let her do as the Old Testament law directs. She's a foreigner. She's out of place. Let her pick up stuff. And he actually goes above and beyond. He, he, um, he tells them to leave, her, to leave extra stuff for her. And she's curious in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz says, this is why, verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. So he's heard about what she's done, her choice. And we see the wisdom of her choice in verse 12. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And this is what we're seeing about Ruth. She's left the country of Moab and she's come with Naomi to go back to the land of Israel where she knows they worship the God who made the universe, who saved his people. And she's casting her lot in with God. She's heard of the mighty deeds, how he brought the people out. And she's trusting God to provide for her. And he already is. He's brought Boaz along. In verse 14, they have a lunch date, sort of. They share bread and dip it in the wine. Has anyone ever dipped their morsel of bread in the wine before? Is that a thing? I don't know. Anyway. I assume that their wine is a lavish thing. It's, you know, it's lunch in the harvest and they're not just having water. Um, and then she goes home, verses 17 to 23. She tells Ruth everything that, that everything's going to be okay. We see it there. And we see in verse 17, she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, how much is an ephah? How much? 22 litres. Exactly right. How do you know that? Yes, in the footnotes. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I knew it was there. I was, you obviously did as well. Okay, so she comes back from... When you're gleaning in the field, you don't, you don't get a superabundance. Okay? You're, you're picking up what is left over. They're pretty lazy um, gleaners, uh, harvesters if they're dropping 22 litres worth in one field, right? But Boaz said to give her extra. And she's had lunch with him and eaten more than she could stomach and taken that home. And she's coming home with what becomes 22 litres, which must be a, a heck of a lot of barley. I don't know how many trips home she took to get it all there. But, you know, she walks in like, oh, I'm, I'm back, Ruth. Look at uh, Naomi. Look at all this. And Naomi's like, okay, whose field did you work in? <laughs> what is going on here? And she says, oh, Boaz is. And, and, and Naomi's like, yes, this is going to be good stuff. And she says here, this is why it's good. In verse, the end of verse 20, Naomi also said to her, this man, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Um, this is good news because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer for the family. Now, this is a bit hard to understand for us because I don't think we do it in Western society very much at all. In fact, not at all that I know of. But if there's um, a family, um, and say there's seven blokes in the family in one generation, a couple of brothers and some cousins and that sort of thing, and, and one of the um, guys has his wife die, and another one of them's single in that generation, the single guy is expected to marry the wife or the widow now so that he can look after her, all right? That's called a kinsman redeemer because they buy them out of what otherwise would be poverty. Again, I don't necessarily agree with the way their society ran, um, but that's how it was. And God's provision is to save people from those hard scenarios. It paints a bigger picture for us, doesn't it, though? Because as we stop here, we're looking at it saying, hang on, Ruth's had lunch with some bloke, chance meeting or not, has had super abundance provided for her in terms of lunch, and she's brought lunch home and stacks of barley. And it's been provided by her kinsman redeemer. I think we're starting to see where the picture's pointing, aren't we? Because there's someone who takes on flesh for us. That is Jesus, who comes into this world. And he says, here I am. I am becoming just like you. Why? 
so that I can buy you back, buy you out of slavery to sin and provide salvation for you. And what does it come with? Well, it comes with a superabundance, doesn't it? It comes with complete forgiveness. It comes with the blessings that we cannot imagine waiting for us in heaven. More than we deserve by far. But that's the way God has set up things to work for us, to give us what we don't deserve because of his great love for us. And Boaz is a good bloke, don't get me wrong. But I think Jesus was something of a better bloke. And it shows us God's character, his love and care for us as his people. I wonder, can you tell me um, what these pictures are now? Yeah, I thought, oh, spoilers, all right. But when they're zoomed out, they're a bit easier to see, right? And, and, ooh, and as, we, um, as we zoom out on Ruth, um, we can actually see it's about God's overflowing provision to us in Jesus, this section here. It's an example of what is to come in greater form. Because here's Ruth being provided for by her kinsman redeemer, and here's Jesus taking on flesh to buy us, to look after us, to save us. And what does it say to us? Well, it says to us here, God's intention for us as his people is ultimately good, okay? In fact, more than good, beyond good. We get stuck, zoomed in on our present circumstances. And we think everything's terrible, but there's no coincidences with God, are there? Things, he works in all things for our good, the Bible tells us. We don't know why sometimes. We don't necessarily like it, but as we, as we let him change us, he provides for us very generously. And he shows us his overflowing goodness in his son, our Savior Jesus. Now I wonder, um, this whole Ruth Boaz thing, what if she hadn't gone into Boaz's field? What was the consequence that would have flowed from that? It's a pretty big one. She might have gone hungry. It's a bit bigger than that. Think big picture. If she doesn't go to Boaz's field, what happens? Oh, yeah, so he should get assaulted. Yep, yeah, so the time of judges, pretty bad time. Um, but he'll, he'll protect her. Yeah, no, bigger than that. Bigger again. Zoom out further. She might have starved. Nah, bigger. What was that? It's Jesus. Is that the answer? Yeah, it is. Why? Yeah, exactly. She's the, if you read the genealogies in uh, the beginning of the Gospels, Ruth is mentioned, right? Because she is a great, great, etc. grandma. Okay? She's in the family tree. If she hadn't gone to that field by coincidence, the whole lot would not have followed. And it just gives you a great appreciation for what God has done. And this God did thousands of years ago in order to, in order to buy us back, all right? Um, he puts a big plan in play. And he has a big plan for your life, okay? Now, it might not be that everything's rosy in the present, but there's a a secure future that he has for you. And if he can plan thousands of years in advance for thousands of years after the event, I think we're pretty safe in his hands, aren't we? God's intention for us is ultimately good. And he shows us that overflowing goodness in his son, our Savior, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, the bigger picture that we can see in Jesus. We thank you for these words here in Ruth, for the kindness of Boaz, the faithfulness of Ruth, the trust of Naomi. But more than that, Father, we thank you for your goodness, providing for two helpless women, but providing for us helpless as we were, lost in our sin, but saved through your goodness to us in Jesus. And so, Father, we ask now that you help us to continue to be shaped by that goodness, to see through the present circumstances that we face, 
and look beyond them. Shape us by them to love and serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.